The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool Y, Your Self-Care. I have come to believe that caring for myself is not self-indulgent. Caring for myself is an act of survival by Audre Lorde. Welcome everyone to this episode of the A to Z Healing Toolbox, where we will be focusing on healing tool Y. Why is your self-care important? Why has it been helpful for me to really zone in on my self-care over the last nine years? And I'm so fortunate today to have my wonderful friend, mentor, and colleague joining me. Paula Stevens is just an amazing soul. I really do think you're going to enjoy this conversation with her. She chats a lot about healing tool why in her own life and how she's integrating that into her professional work. But first, I wanted to just briefly cover healing tool why. Why is self-care so important these days, especially if we're moving through grief and trauma? And um, I just wanted to start with a little story about my self-care that actually started when I was about eight years old. And when I was eight years old, I had a favorite trick. This trick was to put one of those fat pieces of chewing gum between this massive space between my two front teeth. And the stick of gum would move through with a room to spare on either side. And my friends and my brother would laugh. 
But the laughing was over from my parents when they realized how much orthodontic work I was going to need throughout my whole childhood and my young adult life in order to align my teeth, my bite, and my jaw. They still like to say that they bought the orthodontist a condo in Hawaii <laughs> with the money they spent reconstructing my mouth. Because first there was the extraction of six baby teeth to make room for permanent teeth that would soon come in. And then there was this palate expander. I don't know if anyone else had one of those. It was cemented to the roof of my mouth and my mom would have to cock it with a key every night in order for it to spread out the roof of my mouth. That was fun. Then came full braces with rubber bands that crisscross throughout my mouth. And of course, headgear. That was the metal contraption that locked into the braces and then strapped on either over your head or behind your neck. Oh, so comfortable and fashionable. I even went to myofunctional therapy, which was this modality where therapists tried to reteach my tongue to swallow correctly using large buttons and fancy string. And last but not least were retainers to keep my teeth in place, oral surgery for extracting four impacted wisdom teeth, and a phrenectomy to reposition the tissue connecting my lower lip and gum line. Needless to say, I was over and done with orthodontic work, and Brent knew that. So one day when we were in our 30s, we were in our home in Hawaii, brushing our teeth, getting ready for bed, and I just happened to glance at my teeth closer in the mirror and realized, are you kidding me? My teeth aren't even on the same plane anymore. One was really sticking out. So I said to Brent, what is going on here? Why didn't you tell me I was starting to look like a beaver? My jaw had been popping, my teeth weren't aligned anymore, and I just sat down on the toilet seat completely dejected. Well, of course, Brent knew the litany of all of my childhood orthodontic treatments because I had told him these stories many times. And he just gave me a mischievous smile and a hug and said, well, Miss Beaver, let's take care of it. You are worth it. Besides, we don't need any wood nod or dams built. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. So when Brent died, the conversations that I had with him kept reappearing in my mind. And this conversation reappeared, but only one sentence of it. And that sentence was, you are worth it. You are worth it. We are worth it. And that phrase became ingrained in my mind after Brent died. I had peer mentors reminding me, go get a massage this week. Take care of yourself because you are worth it. I had a trainer at the gym remind me, please get up today. Please come to the gym. Please work out with us. You are worth it. I had therapists reminding me, okay, remember to lie down and put your feet up even for 10 minutes a day because you need to rest. You are worth it. I had medical professionals reminding me, you really need to sleep, you need to breathe, and make an appointment will teach you how to do that, reteach you how to do that, because you are worth it. 
A while later, a friend recommended I visit a local day spa called All About Me, believe it or not. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. It's never been all about me. I'm a social worker. I've been a teacher. I've always been giving to others. I have a child. I'm a solo parent. Are you kidding me? It's not all about me. And she said, Susan, Brent isn't here anymore to remind you to take care of yourself. So I'm going to do it. Self-care is not frivolous. You need to stay well for both you and your child. Go do something for yourself. And so I did. And for that perfect hour, it was all about me. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Paula Stevens. Paula has spent her career working in health and wellness and specializes in integrated resilience through whole person care. She holds a master's degree in exercise physiology, is a certified wellness coach and mindfulness teacher, and a clinical hypnotherapist. Paula also studied Buddhist chaplaincy under Rashi Joan Halifax and worked as a hospital chaplain. She skillfully combines all these elements to come alongside those who are on the front lines of delivering care in these trying times. Paula is the author of From Grief to Growth and speaks nationally on the topic of resilient healing with a focus on growth and positively integrating our life experiences. Paula, welcome to the show. I am so happy that you're here. And I think it's pretty great that you are the first guest on this podcast because you were a huge part of helping me push the A to Z healing toolbox and the A to Z work out into the world. So thank you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Um, just simply because we do have that connection that goes you know, way back to the sort of the genesis of A to Z. And I have such a fond memory of literally sitting in Whole Foods and having this introduction com conversation with you over the phone. And it was just one of those moments where you know that you're, you're talking with the right person for the right reasons. And it's, yeah. Right. So it's good to be here. Thank you. I love those moments where you know you've met somebody that you're supposed to have met. And now how long have we known each other? How many years? Five, four? At least 10? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, at least five, probably at least. Yeah. So great. Well, thanks for coming today. The focus today is on healing tool Y, which is your self-care. I think we just will dive right in to how you came to this place. Um, everybody knows what your experience is, but they don't know how it started and about your story. So I'm wondering if you would just share with us a little bit about your story. I would love to. So I think if, if you would have asked the Paula from even 15 years ago, like, what are you going to be doing in 20 years or 15 years? This would be the absolute last thing I would be doing. 20 years ago, I was deeply entrenched in the health and wellness industry. Um, I had a great career. I was teaching in higher education, exercise science. Um, I loved what I did. I love being a teacher. And um, then, you know, like a lot of folks who find their way to your podcast and find your way, their way to your work is that I had a moment, like, which became more than a moment. It became a movement in my life where everything changed and, and how I believed the world to be structured changed. And um, that was in 2010 when my oldest son died. And, um, you know, that was really the catalyst for 
me taking a big step back and saying, you know, what am I doing? And, and more even so than like, what am I doing? It's how am I going to get through this? Right. And so I really came to this place of working in self-care and, and working with grief and trauma, you know, through sort of experiential trauma of my own experiential grief. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, and, and I did that work for, you know, I, and it started as a blog. It was just simply a blog where I was trying to process my own grief experience. And then it just sort of gained momentum. And um, I kind of found myself on this path of, I needed more skills. I needed more tools and, and, and what was important to me. And, and if I was going to go get more skills, more tools, then what did I want those to look like? And, you know, that was where I found myself studying Buddhist philosophy and mindfulness became really the cornerstone of everything that I do. Right. Uh, and so I kind of, you know, I feel like my work is kind of um, mindfulness, impermanence, and joy. You know, like the, that's kind of that. the tripod for the work that I do is mindfulness, impermanence, and joy, because that really, that really encapsulate, encapsulates where um, I spend a lot of time. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm wondering if at what point in your journey after your son died, did you say, did you have a moment where you said, okay, I've really got to take care of myself or, and what does that mean? Or did it just happen organically? So what was really interesting about that, Susan, was I came into that like idea of self-care from a very scientific mindset, because, you know, my background was in the sciences, exercise physiology. I knew that there was this mind-body connection and I had taught classes in the connection of exercise and well-being, exercise and depression, how it, you know, it increases, um, you know, our endorphins and, and our feel-good hormones. And so you would think of all the people who were having a grief experience, I would just like lean right into everything that I had been teaching for 20 years. Sure. And no, um, I distinctly remember going to therapy one day and my therapist, like putting her notebook down, like I'm sitting across, I'm in like the little couch and she's in the chair (laughs) and she's got this, you know, which at this point, Susan, it had become more than just like a file. It was like an entire, you know, anthology of my life. Right. Yes. Yes. She like puts down the heavy, you know, (laughs) encyclopedia that's Paula's life. She says, so here's, what's going to happen. She says, you're either going to start taking care of yourself and going and exercising and doing the things that you know you should, or we're going to put you on antidepressants. And that hit to the core of who I, like I was kicking and screaming saying, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. But the truth was I did because I couldn't even get to the baseline of taking care of myself. Like that is how entrenched I was. So for me, the doorway to self-care came in this bridge of let's get on the medication to give you a bridge so that I could start actually doing the things. Okay. So, um, and I, I mean, I was kicking and screaming because I was like, I know these things, you don't have to tell me like, and I don't need any help. Like I know it turns out it doesn't matter if you know it in your head, if yes. you're not able to like instantiate it in, in your heart. Um, and, and in your actions, it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good. And it sounds like you were overread, like in your mind, you knew what needed to happen, but you were undercooked as in your own self. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's such a great, uh, statement. And I, 
I think, you know, for people like you and I, where we come in with some tools, yes. um, you know, we, we think we have the tools, right. And, and we really haven't acknowledged, we don't know what we don't know yet. And Correct. Yeah. 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 And, and I think part of that is um, it's, it's application too, right? Like if you would have asked me how to use exercise to train for a marathon, how to use exercise in a lot of different ways, or even, and even if we look at more broadly than exercise, but just self-care, you would have asked me, I could have given you a lot of ways, but I had not experienced grief and I had not applied self-care to a grief model. And so that was where I couldn't take what I had and, and sort of overlay it onto a map of grief. And, And the truth was, and I think this is true for any kind of grief, whether it's loss of a, of a, a loved one, a job. in in these times we're living in um, just our social connections, like we've lost so much, Yes, um, but we have to navigate that on our own. Like that's, that's our own sort of map that we have to sit into. Mm-hmm. And so we can, I can, I can help you. I can teach you, right. How to use a compass and, and how to do things, but it's really you who has to take that journey. Such a good point. So for you in your journey, you got on the antidepressant. Did you then start using the tools that you were teaching others? Meditation, mindfulness, exercise. What did you do for your own self-care eventually once you could? So, you know, once I sort of had that bridge of being able to get some clarity and really like get out of the basement, if you will, of just that like deep, deep, you know, grief and depression, um, I was able to start to use some tools and I leaned really heavily into mindfulness and meditation because that was sort of, you know, the, the body stuff came easy to me, like being someone who exercises regularly, like that was an easy thing to lean back into. What wasn't so easy is to sit with my thoughts, to be mindful of what was happening. And that was kind of when I, I did this pivot towards, I need to better understand this. And, um, you know, when I really did this deep dive, which, you know, ultimately um, kind of unfolded into being a chaplain in a hospital during mm-hmm. COVID. So I spent two wow. years, the last two years being a hospital chaplain, um, which again, like 20 years ago, if you would have said, Hey, Paula, you know, in 20 years, you're going to be a hospital chaplain <laughs> during a pandemic. I would have said, well, you're living in sci-fi world because that is not a world I'm going to, you know, wow. habit. So, so I think, what's been useful for me is this time that I've spent as a hospital chaplain and working with healthcare and, you know, the, the first responders, the helpers, you know, I'm seeing how important it is. And so I guess, I guess I'll have two thoughts on this, Susan, is one, I'm seeing how important it is um, that, that we look at self-care through a different prism, a different viewpoint. Okay. um, And that we need to simplify it. And we need to, to be honest, we need to um, not glorify it because I think it's been too easy to look at self-care as, and, and I'll just pick on like a trending, like self-care Sunday, like, you know, guess what? If you're a nurse working in the ICU, self-care Sunday is your 12 hour shift at the hospital. You know, like not everybody has this privilege of like Agreed. Sunday um, or you should go to the spa. You should, and those things are all good. I'm not dismissing the value in those if those work for you, but we have to, sort of widen that net and de-glorify what self-care is. Self-care is being in that 12-hour shift and, and saying, I need five minutes to go to the bathroom, to drink some water, and maybe call up one of my really good friends and say, 
I just need to hear your voice. That is mm. self-care in the moment. Like we need to be better at how do we care for ourselves in real time? I love that. Not how do we backfill after we're burnt out? I love that self-care in real time. Mm -hmm. And to your point, taking five minutes when there's overwhelm and grief and trauma, whether it's your personal story or your professional story is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So when you were doing work as a hospital chaplain and you were seeing families and you were with those who were dying, but also those who were going to survive the death of their loved one, what were some tools? Were you recommending self-care to the families? How did that look in the hospital setting as a chaplain? I mean, there's, there's so many complexities to that. Um, and it was everything from never meeting the family to just talking to them over the phone and having to have that phone conversation to meeting the family, you know, out in the parking lot because they aren't allowed in the hospital. Okay. They wanted to, you know, families who would say, but I just want to be there. Like in that, so they wait in the hospital, in that parking lot of the hospital, they couldn't come in. Um, and then of course the families who were able to be bedside, but I think in those moments, um, and so there's a difference, right? Between that moment of what I would say, like the moment of impact. And, and that really is go home, take care of yourself, get sleep, make sure you eat and drink. I mean, very basic, 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 just sleep, eat, that's it. Yes. That's all you need to do for the next, I don't even know how long it's sleep and eat. And of course there's a thousand things to do versus self-care that is more um, chronic, right? Like if you look at like acute care and chronic, so long-term you need to start looking at, you know, and one way that I really like to look at self-care is what do I have the energy for right now? Uh, um, you know, do I have low, medium, or high energy and what fits into that space? So if I have, if I get off you know, if I'm a teacher and I had parent teacher conference and I just did an 18 hour day, whatever your day looks like as a, as a helper, whether it's a teacher, first responder, healthcare worker, whatever that is, you know, I get home, my energy is low and somebody's saying, oh, you should take care of yourself. Go take a bath. I may not even have the energy for that. Right? Good point. Right. And everybody's like, oh, you should take, go use, you know, some essential oils. You'll, fit. I don't know like that. And so you know, the first step is like, what do I have the energy for? And it may only be to sit with myself and take two or three breaths that are easy. And maybe I just sit and I feel my feet on the floor. I feel my, you know, my, my legs on the back of my, you know, on the seat, like these very almost feels remedial, but it brings us back into the moment. And it takes us out of either ruminating over the past, which gives us, you know, um, you know, depression and, and all sorts of things, or we're having anxiety over the future, right? But if we just drop in here into this moment, there's, there's some, some peace in that. And there's some relaxation in just being here, you know, and then maybe the next day you get up and you say, you know, if we look at this as an energy thing, I have medium amount of energy today. Like I do feel like I could do something for myself. What would be most useful? What, what is most helpful? Maybe it is go and work out. Maybe it's clean your kitchen. You know, maybe it's um, hang out with your dog, right? Those are things that require a little more energy maybe. And then high energy where you go, yeah, I'm going to go work out like crazy, or I'm going to cook a whole meal for my family and do the dishes, right? Like I'm going to do the whole thing. Right? <laughs> I know, like, 
getting the dishes done sometimes is the obstacle to even cooking the meal, right? Exactly. So, yes. So, you know, we need to, we need to look at this in, in a one more individualized way and to like quit glorifying this idea that we, we all have the resources um, and the energy to go take a bath, get a massage, go on vacation and not to dismiss those because those, if those fill your tank and they give you something, absolutely keep doing those, not dismissing that at all. But we also have to look at the entire bell curve, right? We need yes. to look at both ends of the spectrum on the bell curve. Yes. And I love how you were just talking about making self-care individualized. And and I chuckled when you said, you know, maybe someone's doing the dishes or, or cleaning. I spoke with um, a young widowed person yesterday who told me that the very first thing she did after she learned her husband had died was to clean the house. That was her coping tool because it was something that she could control and it made her feel better if that's even a thing right after you learn your loved one dies. But something that I learned a long time ago from cognitive behavioral therapists is this idea of grapes right? The acronym grapes, right? If we can look at small, grapes are small, small grapes per day or per week, then maybe we'll start feeling better. And the acronym is G is gentle with self. What is that for you? R, relaxation. Is that putting your feet on the floor, right? If you have low energy, A, accomplish a task, clean the dishes, right? If that makes you feel better. Uh, P is pleasure. E is back to your exercise. And S is calling that friend, being social in some way. For you, in your journey after your son died and with all the work you do, what do you incorporate now? This is 10 years later for you. No, 12 years later. What do you incorporate in your life now personally? And then what do you do in your work professionally that kind of nudges people into thinking about self-care? Oh, gosh. So I guess for my own, my own personal self-care, um, it has it has and continues to evolve. There were times where exercise was not the most important part of my self-care regime, whether it was because I didn't have the energy for it um, or whether my focus was on something else. But um, I, I try and, you know, for me, it, it becomes three things, healthy body, calm mind, open heart. And so in those, the, you know, those three pieces may not be balanced all the time, um, but that's always sort of my wish. And um, so it's not go hard 100% on the exercise or go hard 100% on, you know, calming my mind and like making sure that I'm tidying up any, you know, rumination or anxiety that I'm having, but um, to just come back to this place of like, how am I, how am I being healthy with my body? Um, and am I developing some bad habits around like my food or my exercise? And cause I, I went there and one of <laughs> And actually my son, Sam comments on this because I gave a speech uh, one time. And uh, in this presentation, I said, I found myself, this was about 18 months after Brandon died. I said, I found myself in the kitchen in my pajamas, drinking a beer. This was, this was (laughs) my aha moment, right? Yes. Oh, yes. This is like a really big aha moment for me was here I am. I'm standing in my kitchen in my pajamas, drinking beer. 
And, and the question became, well, Paula, is it too late to be in your pajamas and you should have gotten dressed today? Or is it too early to be drinking beer? Like right. this is the crux of my problem. And so in that case, like, yeah, I had really like leaned into some bad coping mechanisms and bad coping habits. And so, you know, so to come back to this, like what is being healthy in my body look like? Um, you know, what is being with a calm mind look like? And that means spending a little bit of time every day tending to that. You know, whether it's listening to a guided meditation, um, sitting in meditation, and maybe writing in a journal, like, but just to get the thoughts to sort of settle and, um, and then be living with an open heart. And, and that really comes from this sense of, you know, each and every one of us is suffering and each and every one of us is having the human experience and mine is no greater or no less than someone else's. And to, to uh, sort of meet all of life with this open heart. And um, you know, my, one of my teachers says to have a strong back and a soft front. And I really, mm-hmm. you know, try and live into the world with this like firm back, soft front where, um, you know, I'm open to what life has. So I'm not closing myself off to that. Um, and I'm also open to coming alongside someone in their experience and letting them have that experience, whatever it is. So that kind of is the, the sort of tipping point of, um, you know, now having stepped out of the system of healthcare, um, I'm more p- better positioned to work with people who are having compassion fatigue um, and imp- what I also call what's called empathic distress right? Um, which is a pathological altruism, right? So, you know, we all, and this goes to the self-care piece, which is, you know, so many people who are teachers, social workers, you know, work in healthcare, like we all have a sense of altruism. I know you do like the world can be a better place and, and I can help make the world. Right. What can we do to help? Yes. What can I do to help? Right. But that can become pathological in and of itself. And then we start to feel like we don't deserve the good stuff. We don't deserve the joy. We don't deserve to take care of ourselves. I don't deserve that five minute break because you get so entrenched in that pathological altruism. Interesting. Yeah. And so then we're kind of, so that's a lot of the work I do is, you know, where are you in feeling as if you actually deserve joy and happiness Um, and you deserve to take care of yourself? Because sometimes we're so far gone on that that we feel like, well, there's so much to do. You know, there's so many kids in my classroom that need help. There's so many patients that need help. My, my coworkers need a day off. I'll pick up that shift, um, you know, all the things. And then we start to feel like, well, I just, and I don't deserve it because there's so many things to do, but if you don't do it, you can't continue to do it. Interesting. I haven't heard of that pathological piece with helpers. Maybe I need to set up an, a therapy time with you, Paula. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yes, Susan, we can have some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about the micro piece of self-care, which is very individual right? And then, and then a more macro piece, which is what you're doing in your career right now, helping, helping the helpers. And do you think that, you know, I have a friend who says life prepares us for life. 
Do you think that your life before Brandon died in any way helped prepare you for what you're doing now? I, you know, I, life prepares you for life. And I feel like no experience is ever wasted. No experience is ever um, not valuable. And so absolutely everything I know about the world of health and wellness and the value of taking care of ourselves, you know, is certainly woven into the work I do now in mindfulness and and in some of these other, you know, it is, it is, it is a mind body experience. We can't separate that out. You know, we can't separate how our body feels from how our emotions are happening. I mean, that they're, they're just too interconnected. Yes. Intertwined. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So absolutely. I think, you know, that everything that I did up to Brandon's death certainly supported doing this work. Um, and then I would say everything that's happened since then, you know, from really like dumping my career in health and wellness and going into the more sort of psychosocial, spiritual care. And sometimes, I mean, I've had moments where I'm like, wow, what the heck have you done? Like you've completely like uprooted your career and now you're in this other place. And, um, but it's funny, you know, what you find in yourself when you really say, yeah, I, I got to figure this out. And I think that there's so many people right now, probably people who are listening to this thinking, yeah, I got to figure this out. You know, you can't keep going like this. And, and so what would you say to the people who say, right, I'm, I'm newly grieving, I'm newly traumatized, I'm newly fill in the blank, and I need to figure this out. Where can they start? Where, what are some baby steps that they can take to get on the road to taking care of themselves, however that looks for them? Yeah. So I, I like the, the GRAPES acronym that you used because it really hits on all of those kind of um, social, emotional wellness things, the tools that we talk about. Um, but I, I think one thing that I talk about quite a bit and everybody kind of finds their way into community, but community is such a huge part of it and being connected. And with COVID, it's so difficult to find our connections and to find our community of people um, and, and to, to really feel connected through the virtual space because so many of us are living in that. But, you know, so for, for these people who are saying, I'm newly bereaved or I have this trauma, um, I, I think that one of the best things to remember is that you're not alone. And it may feel very lonely. And grief is, is an interesting paradox of every single person will lose someone and everyone will grieve. And so grief is universal. And yet it is specifically individual to your experience. And yes. so it is like everything and like nothing that everyone else. But you have to remember that other people may not know your exact experience, but they may be able to have a point of reference. And so, yeah, I think um, whatever that looks like for you to try and find community, what I, I sometimes call like loss, right? So my like loss community. So what did I lose? And where are a group of people that are like that? Mm. And that can be, you know, so if we talk about like losing a loved one, it might be, you know, a suicide loss that is more supportive, right? Or loss, you know, in your case, like a widow community, like that, those are my, those are your people, right? Like find the like loss community that you can support you because they are going to be the ones 
who better understand the experience. So kind of look at your experience and say, what other groups of people, where else would I find people who might have had this mm-hmm. experience? Because what's going to happen is you're going to find people who are a little bit ahead of you and they'll be able to help you along. And then as you're in that community, you become the person who helps the next person. And there's a lot of value in that, in, in being uh, the receiver of yes. kindness, passion, love, healing, and then being the giver. And I think ultimately that's really in a perfect world, Susan, if we could all work our stuff out in a way that helps us help others, that's completing that healing circle to me in, in my way of looking at it. And that doesn't mean you have to write a book or have a podcast or do any of the things you know, that you and I sort of have endeavored to do. But it means, you know, it may simply mean going to an event and, and you know, you have your loss and you've done some work on that and you've, you've had someone come alongside and support you. And then you find out someone had a loss and maybe being there is just simply looking at that person and saying, man, that's hard. And that stinks. Tell me about that. Tell me about your loved one. You know, tell me, what are you doing right now? How can I support you? Um, you know, it's nothing grand, but when we can reach our hand out and help someone else, that's That's, the completion of it. I love that. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. You know, a circle and reaching a hand back and, and that is caring for ourselves and someone else. That's beautiful. And, um, and I, I'm smiling as you're talking about finding a like-minded community or like lost community. I think that's what you said. And, um, and for me, that immediately was, I have to find the young widowed people. That's all I need to do is find the young widowed people, right? For a while, that was my self-care. Find the widows, find the widows, find the widows. Well, this is a story of how we got connected. Uh, my friend Trish and her husband Chris were in a therapy group with me, small group therapy, sand tray therapy, sand play therapy. And the first time I walked into that room and I saw a young couple who obviously weren't widows, my arms were crossed and I was like, those are not my people. And I had a really hard time staying in the room because I, had such a hard time being a young widowed person and seeing couples. But lo and behold, Chris and Trish and I become wonderful friends. And it turns out my husband and their daughter, Anna, have the same birthday, August 6th. And so my like loss community for my self-care widened. It became, oh, Look at all the bereaved parents out there. I love these people. Look at all the ways we can connect and take care of ourselves and each other. And that's when Trish introduced us. So I love that we're in a like, a huge, right? Like loss. It's a huge community of, right? This universal experience that is individual, but also it's so connective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I, I, so a couple things came up as for me, as I was listening to you tell that story. Um, so I want to, one thing I want to say about finding your community and finding your people is this was not intuitive to me. I am not a joiner. I am not a, let me, let me be part of your thing. Absolutely not. So Here's my story of being going to a, a support group, Susan. <laughs> kind of like yours in that, so it, 
it was four years after Brandon had died. I had never attended like a support group four years okay. you know, because I, I'm not a joiner. And in somewhere in my subconscious was I'm not them. I'm not, okay. it was a support group for child loss. And that was my loss in my mind. I had some narrative that said, yeah, that's them, but I'm not them, whatever that was for me. Okay. So I show up and I, I only went to the support group because um, a friend of a friend had lost her son and the, our mutual friend said, please go with her. Like, will you please take, she needs this. Will you please go? So you did it for her, not for you. I did. I did <laughs> of course. Me. Like I absolutely, I went like, I would never have gone. I, I just wouldn't have. I'm not a, so, so it, it was so difficult for me to lean into this, like support of other mm. people. Um, so, so I was kind of like, as, as I'm hearing you like walk in and cross your arms and be like, these are not my people. I did that too, but in a totally <laughs> different way of like, these are not my people. But then the other thing is you were talking about that as we look at our loss, right? And, and we do, we go um, young widow, right? Young widow, that's my people, young widow. And we start to identify this. Um, and, and then it, it, it changes, like it, as we change, as our grief changes, yes. our experience changes. And so like I've had, um, I work a lot with the military and I had a, a mom who had lost her son to suicide and he was also in the military. And she said to me, you know, the first couple of years after my son died, suicide support group was where I needed to be. Like those people were my lifeline. Okay. And she said, but then two or three years out, she said, I needed to go to a military loss support group for whatever reason. She's like, I just didn't feel like I, so our needs shift and our needs change as we change and as we grow and evolve. Um, and we have to be mindful of that. That's, that's where people can get stuck. I think is getting wedged into either an identification of how we are grieving or, or what we sort of the narrative that we're telling ourselves and not allowing ourselves to say, Hey, is this really still serving me? Like, does it still serve me to, in this woman's example, like, am I really getting something out of this? And if no, where, where feels like another place I could go? This is self-care to be aware enough of your own unfolding and your own sort of ripening of this experience that you are able to care for yourself as your needs change. Like that mm -hmm. is beautiful self-care that maybe it used to be training for a marathon. Like in my case, training for a marathon was how I took care of myself. That's how I managed my life. That's, that's how I self-medicated. Like that was all of it. And then that didn't work anymore. And then, then I needed to find something different. I needed to put different tools in my toolbox. So that mindfulness of even just checking in and whether you want to do it on a yearly basis or a quarterly basis and saying, here's what I'm doing. Is it continuing to support me? Yep. Great. Continue on. Or, or maybe you quit kind of going to the support group or you're, you're not doing, you know, you're kind of like apathetic about it. Where are you? you know, then that to me is self-care too, like taking time to really reflect on your experience. That's beautifully put. So Paula, we have a few minutes left. I am wondering if somebody wants to connect with you, how can they do that? Are you out there in the world for people to connect with? 
And yes. tell us a little bit about your book too, because it's a fabulous book. Thank so you. maybe um, you can spend a couple minutes telling us more about where folks can find you and your book and what you're doing in the world this week. Yeah, good. Really the easiest way. So paulastevens.net instead of .com.net is my website. Um, and that's where you can kind of connect and see what I've been doing and, and sort of my most current events. Of course, I'm on Instagram. It's probably, I, you know, it's probably my favorite social media platform right now is Instagram. So you can, you can find me on Instagram, but you know, so the book, so five years after Brandon died, um, I just, and this was before everybody was on zoom and before everybody was virtual. I just said, Hey, you know what? Um, I had this community of mostly bereaved parents. And I said, you know, I'm just going to do a five week series every week. We're going to talk about one thing that has helped me um, in the last five years. So five things in five years that have helped me through this. And I recorded it all. And I thought I would just, you know, have it transcribed and turned into, um, blog posts. Well, it turned out, it turned into a book. So I had no intention of ever writing a book in my life. <laughs> that sounds not. familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I did not, um, you know, live in the world to write a book. Um, I flunked freshman English for heaven's sake. So um, yeah, I'm not the person who should be writing a book. But um, so, you know, from grief to growth, um, five essential elements, you can find it on Amazon. And even though it's written through the experience of being a bereaved parent, um, I think everything in there, I do talk about like lost community. I talk about self-care in the body. I talk about loving yourself and loving others and what that looks like. Yeah, I think there's a lot in there, even if you're not a bereaved parent, if you have another um, grief or if you have another life experience, I think there's still a lot in there. You know, most of what I do now is working with um, military people, um, active military, teaching integrated resilience, um, coaching um, individual one-on-one -on -one coaching um, for people who are in the helping profession. And then um, I also teach some mindfulness courses um, in my own community, um, which those I'm guessing the way the world is will end up online eventually. Well, thank you so much for sharing a bit of yourself, your story, Brandon, your road to healing and all the tips that you have for self and others as far as self-care goes. You are the best, Paula. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Susan. It's been a pleasure. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z healingtoolbox.com. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. 
And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.